0: And this morning, I invite you to open scripture to the book of Galatians. We'll be reading from chapter 3, verse 26, to, verse, to chapter 4, verse 7. The book of Galatians, chapter 3, verse 26, to chapter 4, verse 7. The word of the Lord for us this morning, as we prepare to hear his proclamation, is the following... You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you all are one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. What I'm saying is that as long as the heir is a child, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the holy state. He's subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were children, we were in slavery under the basic principles of the world. But when the time had come fully, God sent his son born of a woman born under law to redeem those under law that we might receive the full rights of sons because you are sons god sent the spirit of his son into our hearts the spirit who calls out abba father so you're no longer a slave but a son and since you are a son God has made you also an heir. Amen. This is the word of the Lord for our hearts. Let us pray. Father, as we prepare to partake in the table of our Lord, I pray that you enable us by your Spirit to understand the meaning of our Savior's death. Speak to us through your word, we pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, throughout Scripture, it is not uncommon for us to see the relationship between us and God, between God and His people, through the imagery of a father and a son, or the imagery of a father and his children. The Gospel of John begins in John 1, 12 and 13, saying, Yet to all who received Him, to those who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or of a husband's will, but born of God. Scripture talks about a new birth that we experience when we turn to God in faith and repentance. But the idea of adoption is opposite to the idea of being born into a family. Scripture talks about our relationship to God as his children by using both imageries of being born into his family and being adopted into his family. And both tell us different nuances, both images tell us different nuances of our relationship with God. But interestingly, When scripture talks about the cross of Christ. Scripture uses the imagery of adoption. And this is the imagery Paul uses in this passage we just read today. Notice verse four of chapter four. If you have your Bibles open. Paul says, but when the time had fully come. God sent his son born of a woman born under law. For what purpose? Verse 5 gives us two reasons, to redeem those under law, and the second reason, that we might receive the full rights of sons. Now, the NIV here is a bit tricky. Uh, I prefer the ESV version or the NAS version in this passage, which says, so that we might receive adoption as sons. The original word here is a a unique word, a, a word that is rarely used outside of the Bible, a word that is never used in the Old Testament, and just a few times used in the New Testament, and this is one of those times. The adoption. Now, even though God described the nation of Israel as His son, and by the way, the first time that appears in the Old Testament, is in the book of Exodus chapter 4, when God tells Moses to go before Pharaoh and ask Pharaoh to lead or let the people of Israel out of Egypt. God said, tell Pharaoh that Israel is my son, my firstborn son. First time that shows up in the entire Bible is in Exodus chapter 4. And throughout the Old Testament, we see a few places where God describes the people of Israel through this imagery of Israel, my son. My people are my children. But it is only in Romans, in the New Testament, in the book of Romans, chapter 9, verse 4, that we find out that all along, throughout the Old Testament, the people of Israel were considered God's sons, through adoption. Romans 9, 4 says, The people of Israel, theirs is the adoption as sons. In other words, the metaphor of adoption is not just for Christians, but it stands as a category of describing God's relationship, even with Israel, even in the Old Testament. To be adopted as God's children was the special favor was the special privilege that the nation of Israel had prior to any Gentile being included as a people of God. Israel was the son of God through adoption. Now we have to ask, why is adoption never mentioned in the Old Testament? We see the imagery, but we never see that clearly laid out. We have to wait until the New Testament to hear that spelled out. Why? Why didn't God reveal to Israel the concept of adoption? Well, the answer I think is twofold. First, because it is only in the New Testament that we see the price of adoption. And second, it is only in the New Testament that we see the experience of adoption as being available for the people of God. The price of adoption, let's look at the price of adoption. Now, every adoption today, if you were to go and and get an adoption, every adoption requires money. I looked up this week, one of the national surveys of of the Adoption Association uh, says that an average adoption in 2009-2010 cost about $30,000. A little bit more or less depending on where you adopt from. But adoption these days are expensive. What about God? When He adopted us, what is the adoption price that God paid? Verse 4 and 5 says that Christ came to redeem us and to adopt us and it's interesting that in the new testament the first time the word adoption shows up is in connection to christ's work of redemption it is interesting that nowhere else and until until the the work of redemption is clearly displayed we do not see the concept of adoption clearly laid out in the bible what this means for us is that the price God paid for our adoption is the life of His Son. Galatians 3.13, a few verses prior to the passage we just read, it says Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. In other words, brothers and sisters, it cost God the price of His Son's life in order to adopt new sons for glory. there are families today who adopt children because they're not able to have children of their own there are other families who although they have children of their own choose to adopt other children so they can be a blessing to other children that are abandoned and we want to encourage adoption to be a experience That the Christian community does. There are churches who encourage it, there are churches who have programs to to allow and encourage families and enable families to adopt, whether or not they're able to have natural children. But when we think about God's adoption, there's something different about the way God adopted us from the way we might adopt children. No family today would consider adopting another child and trade their natural children for the adopted children. And yet in one sense, that is what God does and even more. God paid with the life of his son, his only begotten son, in order to adopt more sons for glory. My friend. I wonder if you have ever pondered that for God to adopt us as His sons, it cost Him the life of His only begotten Son. This is why God's adoption is so different than any human adoption. What this means for us, dear brothers and sisters, is that when we celebrate the Lord's Supper as a reminder of His death on our behalf, we are reminded that through His death on the cross, God enacted. The grand payment of the grand adoption of the new sons of God. That's why children, Christians receive the adoption through faith in Christ. That's how our passage began this morning. Galatians 3:26, We receive our adoption through faith in Christ. You're all sons of God through faith in Christ. Our sonship does not come through what we can do for God. Our our adoption does not happen through what we can do for God, through what we can pay for God. No child who is adopted pays his way into adoption. And no child who is adopted lives the rest of his life trying to make payments to his adoptive parents to pay back for his adoption. In a similar way, our adoption has been paid by the blood of Jesus. And that's why we the only way we can become adopted, we, the only way we can become children of God is by faith in Jesus Christ. Only by faith. We believe God adopted us through the payment Christ made. And yet... Our adoption is made visible by the fact that we put on Christ. When we believe God adopted us through, his, through the payment of his son through his death on the cross, something happens to us as newly adopted children. We start identifying ourselves with Christ. We put on Christ. And this is the image Paul gives us in verse 27. He gives us a wonderful illustration of putting on Christ, of being clothed with Christ. Now, why would this be related to the imagery in the context of adoption? Because adopted children of God now begin identifying themselves with God, with Christ. Imagine for a moment if an Aggie would ever convert and become a longhorn. Now, I know that's not possible. I know all the Longhorns would like that to happen. That's not possible. But imagine if a miracle took place, and there was a a conversion in an Aggie's life, and now he became a Longhorn fan. And imagine this newly converted fan. He's now going to a football game between Longhorns and Texas A&M. What jersey will he put on? A longhorn jersey because to put on a jersey that has a longhorn signals and symbols is to say I have become a longhorn fan I'm putting on the clothing that represents and identifies me with my team with a new team that I'm now a fan of in a similar way when we become children adopted by God we start identifying ourselves With our new family, with a new team. And we put on new clothes. And I'm not talking about your closet. Paul talks here about this picture of putting on Christ because we have been adopted by God and now we identify ourselves with a new family that now we're a part of. But what do you put on to identify yourself with Christ? Today we put on t-shirts that says Jesus or we put on bumper, or a bumper stickers on our cars that says something with a, either a fish or a cross, and that's how we identify ourselves with Christ. But dear friends, there's something even more powerful. There's it's a, an even more powerful picture that enables these new converts to identify themselves with Christ, and that new picture is not in a t-shirt. It's not in a bumper sticker. That new Identification with Christ happened right here in the waters of baptism. That's why Paul says in verse 27: for all of you who have been baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. Baptism is that act of initiation where we realize God has adopted us. We're changing the jersey, we're changing our outfit, we're putting on Christ, but it's not a t-shirt. It is our identification with the death of Christ and his resurrection, and that happens in the waters of baptism. Our adoption as sons of God, as children of God, happens only because God paid the price for our adoption. And the only way we can be a part of that adoption, the only way that adoption becomes ours, is through faith in Christ and faith alone. And when that happens in us, when we become adopted children of God, we make that adoption visible, not by t-shirts, but by baptism. That's the price of adoption. We don't pay it. Christ has paid it and we identify ourselves with him. What about the experience of adoption? Let me ask you, my friend Has there been a time in your life when you have experienced God's adoption? You might call yourself today an agnostic. You might be here today and you might call yourself an atheist. You might be here today and you might call yourself a Christian. It doesn't matter what labels you put on you. Let me ask you if you have experienced God's work of adoption in your life. If you don't know the answer to that question, it is a good indication that probably you have not experienced God's work of adoption. And if that's the case, I ask you to consider today the historical fact that Christ died for our sins in order to rescue you from the wrath of God, which triggered, which was triggered against our sins, against your sins, Christ paid that payment Not only to rescue you from an eternal hell, but to bring you into a father-son relationship with God. If you believe this to be true, if you turn to God in faith and repentance, you too can become a child of God. If this is your desire today, I would love to talk to you at the end of the service. God paid the price of our adoption in the cross of Christ. That adoption becomes ours through faith in Christ and is made visible in baptism, which is our identification with Christ, so that we ourselves might become and might be known as children of God. Now, if that's all this text said, it would be enough. But there's something else this text tells us about our experience of adoption. Not only the price of adoption, but the experience of adoption Look at verses, verse 6 in chapter 4. Because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. God sent Christ to redeem us, to adopt us, but he also sent the spirit so we can actually live out our adoption and experience our adoption so that we can truly call out to God and address him as Abba father now to call God our father is not hard for our lips and our mouths the NIV softens the imagery in this verse because it says calling out Abba father But really, it should say, crying out, Abba, Father. It's a passionate experience and feeling, a longing for the Heavenly Father. It is when our hearts recognize Him as our Father, and our passions are directed to Him. Now, I know we talk about passions in a Baptist church. It's hard for us sometimes. But the passage here talks about this this longing, this experience for God and crying out to Him, Abba, Father. Such an experience comes not from the tips of our tongues, but from the bottom of our hearts. And such an experience is not possible through our own human abilities, but is the work of the Spirit. And that's why it's interesting what what Paul says here god sent jesus to make the adoption possible to adopt us and then he sent the spirit so that we might be able to feel that adoption and might be able to live out that adoption because on our own strengths in our own power in our own wisdom as human beings we cannot recognize god and address him as father now for those of you who did not grow up in a church setting in a church background you might think that the word Abba is like the name, like David, Father. But that's not true. That's not the case. The word Abba is the Aramaic word that means Father. So in other words, Paul is saying here, the Spirit enables us to call out to to God, Father, Father. But why should we say Father, Father? Why is there Abba, Father? Most commentators think that The word Abba here comes from the very words of Jesus who taught us to address our God in these words, Abba. You see, in all of the Old Testament, even though the people of Israel were the people of God, the children of God, they never addressed God as their Father. It was only in the work of Jesus that that was made possible, and Jesus taught them and he taught us, how to address God as our Father, Abba, Father. Wayne Grudem, one of the authors of a, of a wonderful book, a wonderful systematic theology, says the following, even though they were, they were under a consciousness of God as Father, the full benefits and privileges of membership in God's family for the people of Israel And that realization of that membership did not come until Christ came and the Spirit of God was poured into our hearts, bearing with our spirit that we are God's children. Divine adoption changes our longings. We long for God. We cry out to our Heavenly Father. But divine adoption not only changes the way we experience God and the way we address God, divine adoption changes Our experience of God and our experience of other believers adoption is a change of family ties in which adopted children also acquire new siblings look at verse 28 of chapter 3 Paul says there's neither Jew nor Greek slave nor free male nor female for you are all one in Christ Jesus When a child is adopted by a new set of parents, that child acquires not only a new name, a new last name, uh, not only will he acquire new parents, but if that family has other siblings, that child will automatically have new brothers and sisters. And this is the Christian community at its core. To be adopted by God means to be adopted into his family, to be a part of his church. But a divine adoption changes something else. Not only does it change our experience of God, it also changes our experience of each other. But thirdly, it changes our future. Look at verse 7 of chapter 4. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has made you also an heir. Our adoption as sons changes our legal status, it changes our experience with God, it changes our experience with other Christians, it changes our future. In Romans 8, the passage we read earlier in the this, in this service, Paul says, not only so, but we ourselves who have been first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies, in Romans 8, Paul seems to say that our adoption is not here yet. In Galatians, he said, we have been adopted. So how do we put these two terms? Well, there's a sense in which in the coming of Christ, once the payment has been made, the adoption has been revealed. And now we can experience that adoption and truly engage God and truly engage each other. But there's a sense in which the full benefits of our adoption Will only be made known and possible in the future. Why? Because to become a child of God means to become an heir of God's kingdom, to become an heir of God's promises. And one of those promises is the redemption of our bodies. And that promise will be made to us only at the future time. That benefit is still coming. Now let me address your young. Men and women, young Christians, whether you're a child or whether you're a young mom or dad, it is easy for us to cherish our lives and look forward to a life full of adventure and fun. And let the yearning for eternity be something we'll experience in old age. But such delayed yearning is foreign to those who have been adopted as children of God. The thought of being heirs of God's kingdom of his promises ought to excite our lives right now the day and not wait until you're old to be able to really look forward to eternity. Let me speak to those who are older saints, older Christians. Some of you might be looking forward to the day of being with the Lord and you might experience some fear or even some regret that your life on earth is coming to an end. My dear friends, my dear brothers and sisters, have no regrets. Have no fear because you have an inheritance to experience prior to us who are younger, an experience that is unimaginable, a way that we just, we want to yearn for and look for that experience. And some of you might be closer to that day, be excited for that. Don't look with fear towards that. Because to be adopted as children of God means not only that we have a new experience with God, it means we have a new experience with each other, but it also means our future is changed. We have so much to look for because we are adopted children of God. It is that day when we look forward to receive the inheritance of our Father. Now I know some of us here today, have experienced the loss of a dear family member. Of a dear person, perhaps a spouse, perhaps a parent. And since that experience, whether it was in the recent past, in a longer past, since that experience has happened in your life, I know that you're looking towards heaven with a different yearning. You're looking for that experience of meeting again, those who are family members of your family. My dear friends, Scripture teaches us that we are children of God. And most of our family is there. Our Father is there. We have so much to look forward to. But until that day, until that day christ has left us a price tag to assure us that our redemption is sure and that price tag is standing right here before us as we prepare our hearts to partake of the lord's supper to remember his body to remember his death to remember his blood that was shed for us on the cross. And it is because he paid that price, our adoption is assured. Our experience with God is different. Our experience with each other is different. And our future is so different. How is adoption different than other meanings of the cross that we have looked at so far in the sermon series throughout this year? Let me... Suggest a few comparisons. Redemption is a commercial language. It has to do with buying us back out of slavery, and we have looked at that. Justification is a legal, judicial language. It has to do with our condemnation. Our condemnation has been removed. Propitiation, that, that heavy word that it's hard to spell, is, is a language of wrath. God's wrath against our sin has been satisfied. Substitution, another meaning of the cross, is the language of trading. Christ died in our place. And all of these are valuable, very valuable meanings. But adoption takes us a step further. Adoption is family language. You see, my friends, God could have, ad- could have redeemed us without adopting us. God could have justified us without making us his children. God could have propitiated our sin without making us his sons. God could have substituted Christ in our place without adopting us. He could even forgive us without making us part of his family. But adoption means that God did all of those and He brought us into his family. He brought us into his home. He's opened up the door into his living room. Jesus went to prepare a place for us so that where he is, we might be also. He came to prepare a place for us that we may enjoy him, and he's preparing a banquet for us so that we may eat with him. He's going to feed us, and most surprisingly, he went ahead of us To make us heirs of his glory and riches. So as we stand today here to commemorate the death of our Lord Jesus, let us remember that we are commemorating the price of our adoption. Our adoption has changed the way we experience God. Our adoption has changed the way we experience each other. And our adoption has changed our future. Let us pray. Father, how can we ever, ever, ever thank you enough for the love which you lavished upon us in the body and death of Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, thank you for making us your children. Thank you for opening the door for us to become part of your family, part of your home, Lord Jesus, we thank You for the price You paid for us so that You may open our door, our way to the Father. Father, we thank You for the Holy Spirit that You have put in us to change our hearts, to change our longings, to change our passions so that we may long for the Father. Today, Father, we pray that You may open our eyes and as we partake of the Lord's Supper, as we remember His body, As we remember His blood, Lord, we pray that Your Spirit would infuse us with that experience of addressing You, of approaching You as our Heavenly Father. We pray these things in the name of Jesus, for His glory. Amen.
1: As you are seated and we sing... This communion song, I pray that we would open our hearts, confess ourselves to the Lord, and remind ourselves as we gather here the importance of our act of obedience.
2: Behold the Lamb who bears our sins away, slain for us, and we remember. The promise made that all who come in faith Find forgiveness at the cross So we share in this bread of life And we drink of His sacrifice as a son Of our bonds of peace, Around the table
1: of the King The body of our Savior Jesus Christ Torn for you Eat and remember that heal the death, death that brings us life Paid the price to make us one So we share in this bread of life And we drink of his
2: The blood that cleanses every stain of, stain of sin Shed for you Drink and remember He drained that cup that all may enter, enter in To receive the life of God So we share this bread of life, and we drink of his sacrifice as a sign of our bonds of grace around the table of the King. And so with
1: thankfulness With faith we rise To restore And to remember Our call to follow In the steps of Christ As his body here on earth As we share Will come again and will join in the feast of heaven around the table of the king.
0: Encourage the deacons to come forward as we prepare ourselves to partake of the Lord's Supper of his body and of his blood. Let's read the testimony of the death of the Lord Jesus. And after the reading of this testimony, I would like to ask Brother Larry Meacham to lead us in a prayer of thanksgiving for the bread we will have. We read in in the scriptures that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let us pray. Go ahead.
2: Our dear Heavenly Father, we Thank you so much, Lord, that you did not have your life taken from me, that you gave it. Lord, you told us that no man takes your life from you, but that you give it willingly. And Lord, that you allowed your body to be broken and bruised for our sins, and you took them in our place. And Lord, we do this, every time we do this, we do it in remembrance of you, the night that you uh, had your last... Supper with us and lord we look forward to the day when we will celebrate the feast of the lamb in heaven lord we look forward to that and we do it in your precious name the name of jesus
0: amen amen all those who have professed the lord jesus as their lord and savior who have repented and put their trust in christ for their salvation all those who have been baptized upon profession of their faith, all those who are in good standing with the local community, and all those who have self-examined themselves are encouraged and invited to be part of the Lord's table and encourage you to stand to do so. we remember the words of Jesus who told his disciples on the night he was betrayed, this is my body. Take and eat. Amen. Scripture says, in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I would like to ask Brother Paul Beeman to come and give a prayer of thanksgiving for the blood of Jesus.
1: Through your blood and your said your shed blood and our acceptance of your offer of forgiveness and salvation, we are saved. Lord, we do thank you for sharing the blood and shedding the blood, and that we would be worthy of that gift. These things we ask you.
0: Jesus then took the cup and told his disciples drink from it all of you amen Lord Jesus we thank you for your sacrifice on our behalf and because of his sacrifice we are now children of yours children of God Thank you Lord Jesus, amen. You may be seated. Thank you for coming to a worship service that has been fully fledging the gospel in ways that we don't do it every Sunday. Uh, Every Sunday we try to worship God and we worship him through songs, through singing, through reading scripture, through hearing God's word let me remind you we come here not simply to worship we come here to be edified so that we can continue to worship when we leave this place worship is not limited to what happens here we worship 24 hours seven days a week When we come here to worship we worship as a congregation when we disperse we continue to worship as individual Christians. My desire and prayers as as we have partaken of the Lord's Supper, as we have seen the gospel lived out in this very occasion of the Lord's Supper, I pray that you'd be encouraged and edified to live your life in light of the death of Jesus. You are children of God. Let me close in a final prayer from the book of Hebrews.